Welcome to the Getting Heaven Into People podcast. I'm Dave Ripper, a pastor here in New England, and I want to thank you for listening. After two years of the pandemic, almost all of us are hurting in some way, and so many of our churches are reeling. To address the deeply felt need Christians and churches have, I've designed this podcast to invite us to experience deeper healing and freedom over a 40-day journey as we pursue spiritual transformation together. I'm praying today's episode helps you experience greater joy, contentment, and confidence in your life and walk with God. So as you listen, may God's grace and peace be with you. Well, welcome to Getting Heaven in the People. I'm Dave Ripper coming to you from Nashua, New Hampshire here at Crossway Christian Church. And I'm so glad that you can join us for day 37 of our 40-day journey of cultivating spiritual freedom so that we can best love God and love others and work towards seeing this world looking more like heaven and less like hell. And I'm convinced that begins with us from the inside out with transformation into Christ-likeness that will help change those and our culture around us for God's greater glory as we practice the way of Jesus together. And as we near the end of this 40-day series, we are conversing about how you might create a plan so that you will experience ongoing spiritual transformation long after these podcasts end. And we do hope uh, beyond these 40 days to continue recording more themes, more conversations about getting heaven in the people. I've been thrilled by the response that we've had, not only by listeners, but others actually reaching out and saying, hey, I'd love to talk about this theme with you on your podcast sometime soon. So after Easter 2022 and into the summer, we'll hopefully release some more episodes as well. So thank you for listening and telling your friends about it as well. But over these last few episodes, we've been helping you craft a curriculum for Christ-likeness, or what some of the ancient Christians have called a rule of life. And that word rule brings with it the idea of a trellis that en- creates the structure to enable the life of Christ to grow through you. We've explored how one way to shape your rule of life is to pattern it after the very life of God, who is joy in motion, as Gary Moon describes. God is a God of community and creativity and compassion. And so I've tried to pattern my own personal rule of life to foster Trinitarian connection, creative play, as we talked about last time, and compassionate presence in our lives so that we will experience more and more of the joy that is emblematic and essential to who God is in and of himself. So we're going to look at this final of these aspects of a Trinitarian rule of life today, compassionate presence, compassionate presence, because the overflow of heaven getting into us will undoubtedly be compassionate living toward others. So let's see how we might follow Jesus' example of compassionate presence by noticing the compassion that is central to who he is through these words from gospel passages here in the scriptures. Start first with Matthew 9, 36. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Just imagine Jesus looking over some of the crowds of people in our news these days. People whose ideologies might differ from yours, and often we look down at them condescendingly, judgmentally. But somehow, Jesus, I believe, will look on the crowds of people in our world today, including you and me, with compassion. With compassion. Because often they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so we want heaven to get into us so others can experience life with a shepherd. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a sequence of events. What a pattern for us to follow as we engage with others. To look at them and love them. Then one of my favorite stories of compassion that I think strikes the very heart of who Jesus is. John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. You know this story, but let's listen to it afresh. While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they may have some charges to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, As the one who could have, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Just allow the sequence of events of that story just to come before your mind. Allow them to touch your emotions and your heart. Imagine what it would have felt like to have been so shamed and disgraced so publicly, utterly humiliated, and to have Jesus come to your aid in such a gracious, kind, compassionate fashion. While the text doesn't say it explicitly, it's hard to imagine Jesus not looking at this woman 
and loving her. Imagine him doing that. Imagine you're her. What does it feel like to be seen and loved by Jesus? Especially when you were swept up in things that cause you to deserve the very opposite. Being in the presence of God undoubtedly enables us to grow in compassion. And so when I think of compassionate presence and why I want that in my own life as a regular part of my rhythm and how I love others and how I reflect the way of Jesus, I think about Jesus looking at me and loving me. I think about Jesus looking at our church and loving us. He's looking, noticing, seeing, paying attention, being with, and seeing us with eyes of grace and compassion. And he's loving us, appreciating us, honoring God as the image bearers that we are, and taking an interest, a vested interest in us. And when heaven is getting into us, I believe this is what people will experience when they come into our presence as well. Not anger, not judgment, not meanness, not cruelty, not condescension. Loving compassion of feeling seen and being loved. So as part of my own rule of life, I don't want to allow compassion to be something that just happens randomly or by chance. I want it to be a regular part of my life. I endeavor to be a compassionate presence to people in my life, starting first and foremost with those in my home and then trying to cultivate intentional relationships with people who might be far different from me and trying to extend compassion to everybody from my home to those farthest away from me so that everyone that I am around might be able to see Jesus in and through me. Now, I had a really good weekly rhythm, especially for being with those perhaps as we might identify as maybe being a little bit more on the margins of our society or in more impoverished states. But that is something I am hoping and working toward rebuilding here as best as I can. But compassionate presence simply begins where we are and it starts by valuing people so much that we give our best attention to them. We actually have to train ourselves in giving our attention without distraction. All those little touches of our phone, they're not as innocuous as we might seem. They might actually steer us away from being able to be as fully present without distraction as God would have us to be, to be compassionate people. On Sundays, for example, I try to place as much value on the individual interactions and conversations I have with people as I do the sermon, as hard as that is. That often means my messages might not be as polished as I like because I'm not getting them all down pat in the final seconds before I take the pulpit because I'm spending time with people. And I love the chance to practice compassionate presence when people are gathered as they've made an effort to be there. And so compassionate presence actually frees me spiritually from having to perform as perfectly as I would like. And the, maybe the most crucial part of practicing compassionate presence is just listening. We can serve and love by being really good listeners. And 
That won't just happen by default. We must design our lives to do that. We have to intend to do that. This is why almost any of us can serve one another. In his incredible book, Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer contends that listening is the greatest act of service that one can render to the community. I would like for you to try that and attempt to prove him wrong. That seems like a very bold statement. Really, listening is the greatest act of service one can render to the community? Well, as you do that and you see the difference that makes, it's hard to prove Bonhoeffer wrong. Another author from the 20th century, Douglas Steer, famously said, to listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery may be almost the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. Let me say that once more from Douglas Steer, to listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery may be the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. What does that look like? Well, I believe oftentimes as we talk with people, they might be sharing things and they're looking for our help and it could be easy for us to want to give them our words, our solutions, our answers. But I find what is more empowering and what is more transformative for people is not when we tell them what they should do, but when we ask the kind of questions that would enable them to connect more with the presence of the Holy Spirit and through that inner reflection and dependence on the Spirit, they might reveal something about themselves that they didn't know, or they might connect the dots about what they are called to do in ways they were not aware of before. And it's not by my words, but often by one's presence and listening capacity that those transformational aha, epiphany-like moments can occur. To listen another soul into a condition of disclosure may be the greatest service that any human being ever performs from another. And if we're not looking at another or listening to another with compassion, if we're not fully present to another, would we ever think someone would feel safe and secure enough to be so disclosing? So to help spread the message of getting heaven in the people might not mean saying things to others, but listening incredibly well to them, looking at them, loving them, and listening. Looking, loving, listening. That's the beginning of compassionate presence. So who are the people in your life that might go unheard? Who might be overlooked? Have you given compassionate presence even to people in your nearest sphere of influence, the people under your own roof? Who else in your life? Maybe you've never heard their story. Asking someone their story can be an incredibly loving thing because it allows people to feel known. Eugene Peterson says, stories are verbal acts of hospitality. Let me say that again. Stories are verbal acts of hospitality as we hear and seek to know the stories of others and as we share our own. And speaking of hospitality, I think this is crucial to compassionate presence as well. Hospitality is far more than just cookies after church. It's opening your life to another, which means you must have room in your life, margin to your schedule, and compassion for others. 
But I am convinced that when we arrange our lives around cultivating Trinitarian connection, creative play and work, and compassionate presence, we will be getting in on the kingdom building, getting heaven to earth, getting heaven and the people work that we were made to do. And as we do, I believe our hearts will well up, overthrow, overflow, and throb with the joy that is at the heart of the most joyous being in the universe, our great God. So how might you organize, arrange, structure your life that you are constantly living in Trinitarian connection, that you are experiencing creative work and play, and that you are exuding compassionate presence to others? What might you do daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to do that? Who might you bring along in your life to help you cultivate this way of Jesus? This is one of life's greatest opportunities. Well, we have two more episodes to go in this series. And I hope and pray you have found these podcasts to be encouraging. And if so, consider sharing them, inviting others to maybe listen to this whole series with you, maybe write a review or help others join the movement of getting heaven into people. Because I can only believe, only imagine what would happen if churches stopped just trying to get people into heaven, but getting heaven into people. What a difference that could make for our future church. So may the community creative energy, and compassionate presence of our great God be yours today, friends. We'll see you next time.